Welcome to the Pregnancy Help Podcast. I'm Christine Grimmett, and this is the first of a short series that we're running on different worldview perspectives. Ellen Fell is our international program specialist, and she's been on our podcast several times in the past. So you can always go back and listen to some of those if you're interested in some of her travels and insights into Global Pregnancy Help Network. In these worldview perspective episodes, Ellen is talking with a few of her friends from around the world to help listeners understand how each worldview impacts decisions on life and abortion. Before I turn things over to Ellen, I'd like to mention that registration is now open for Heartbeat International's annual conference, taking place April 26th through 28th in Louisville, Kentucky. This is a gathering of pregnancy help ministry leaders, staff, volunteers, and board members from around the world as we network, train from various workshops, and focus on our vision of making abortion unwanted today and unthinkable for future generations. Sign up today at heartbeatservices.org. Well, welcome, Ellen. Glad to have you with us. Can you start by telling us a little about yourself and your work at Heartbeat? And then I'll let you introduce our guest. I'm happy to, Christine. And thank you for uh, having and helping us uh, with the podcast. My uh, role as the international program specialist is uh, basically to interface between Heartbeat International and our 1,200-ish international affiliates in uh, over 84 five countries now. We uh, have the privilege to serve, uh, and it is our joy to serve uh, those across the globe as they help women and children and families in their respective nations and regions. Today, it's my pleasure to introduce uh, and to interview Sandy Shoshani, uh, who is the National Director of the Be'ad Chaim Association, which is Israel Pro-Life. Sandy uh, was raised actually in uh, Boston, Massachusetts, in a traditional Jewish home. She came to have uh, faith in her Messiah Yeshua while attending Northwestern University. She has degrees, a BS and an MA in speech pathology. In 1979, Sandy uh, moved to Israel uh, where she met her husband, Oded. They have seven children and 12 grandchildren. And uh, they lead a Hebrew-speaking congregation. And this is a name I really will only say in English, Sandy, uh, King of Kings. <laughs> but uh, I, in the, the time that I have known Sandy, I have seen her passion to protect mothers from the pain of abortion and protecting the lives of the unborn. Sandy, thanks for your willingness to participate in this series of podcasts on worldview perspectives and how that worldview does impact uh, the decisions people make, including decisions on life and abortion. Everybody, as we know, has a worldview, whether they acknowledge it or not, whether they recognize it or not. And uh, the current events of war and famine uh, economies around the globe are creating a diaspora from lots of different countries who end up on the doorsteps of our centers here in America many of them. Uh, And our job here is uh, to recognize and to understand worldviews so that we can, frankly, more effectively share the gospel of life. So I appreciate your time and your insight. So uh, tell us, uh, Sandy, from what worldview perspective are you sharing with us today? I'm sharing with you, Ellen, and thank you so much for this opportunity from the perspective of a Jewish woman who believes in Jesus and Yeshua, that he's the Messiah of the world. 
to the Jew first and then to the rest of the world. That's super. And you were raised un- until, well, you, you had said, told me that you came from a traditional Jewish background. Mm-hmm. Was that a orthodox, a conservative or a more reformed well, more conservative, leaning toward orthodox. I was raised knowing that there's a God who created the world and that there's an order to this world. But I really, in my heart, always wanted to know him personally. I wanted to know him beyond tradition. I wanted to know him in a personal way. So I was seeking to know him. And I, when I was 18 years old in my freshman year in college, I became a believer. That is, first of all, exciting, but it's it, it also just really provides us a tremendous launch pad for understanding ourselves how this, how your background uh, can help us understand. So you said that the, the really the primary reality in the Jewish worldview is also the existence of God. Is that, is that right? Absolutely. And actually, we're talking about what people in Israel here believe. Most Israelis, if you would ask them if there's God, would say yes. That, that is the permeating um, perspective of Israelis. But who is God and what does he mean to them in their lives is quite different. Here in Israel, usually when you talk about God, the perspective would be something about religion, whether you're observing the Sabbath or keeping kosher it, or what you're wearing. It has a lot to do with um, externals and traditions and laws. That's that's kind of the perspective in Israel. So when someone says that they're, there's a term here in Israel called, um, in English, you would say returning in repentance. And in a Christian mind, that would mean a changing of heart. In, a, in an Israeli Jewish mind, it would mean that they are changing the way that they're dressing, and they're probably not going to drive on the Sabbath anymore. You understand? It's yeah. quite a different perspective. So is there any, um, I guess uh, the question is, what is the reality of grace? So in Christianity, grace is the fairly huge and significant concept. How does that play mm-hmm. into the Jewish faith? Yeah, that's not much of a concept. That is, that's an interesting question because you, you never hear that term here. You hear about doing what they call a mitzvah, a law, uh, doing a good deed. It's, mm. it's really a mindset here, very, very much of good deeds, right behavior, doing good to your neighbor. Um, it's, it's much more of a mindset of that. I mean, people want to do the right thing. There's a lot of volunteering, a lot of activism, but it's not really about a relationship. That, that concept of relationship with God, grace, uh, that is a very Christian idea. I, and I, I mean, I'm a believer in the New Testament, but I say that that's not a concept that's typical in the, in the Israeli Jewish mind. Well, of course, also, there isn't too much judgment in modern, in modern life. I mean, generally, people are not thinking that there's a God who judges. They're thinking that God loves everybody and do what feels good and do what feels right. I mean, that's, that's modern, modernism. So how does that, how does that impact the way that you and your count? your consultants, your counselors, talk to women who are abortion-minded? Right. So that's a real interesting question because I know in the U.S. you talk about my body, my body, my body, but here it's even more 
significant because here we don't have the right to tell anybody what to do. They have to be happy. As long as they're happy, as long as they're not, um, in quotation marks, not hurting anybody else, they're not considering the baby human being, then they should be allowed to do what they want. So pretty much, you know, in my early days, I've been working with Ba'ad Chaim, Israel Pro-Life, for almost 18 years. In my early years, I talked a lot about the baby being a human being and um, who is the baby. And I realized quite fast that that was not the way I could talk or relate to Israeli women. I have to talk to them about themselves. It's all about what's good for them. So we talk primarily about this abortion. What are the consequences for you? What does this mean to your life? What do you really want? Don't you want to really be a mother? What would your gut say if you didn't have any problems? How do we get rid of the problems for you? How do we help you? How do we provide for you so you'll be able to be a good mother? You deserve to be a mom. You're, you know what I mean? We have mm-hmm. to really emphasize her rights and who she is and what this would do for her and what does this mean for her life. We can't talk very much about the baby. As a matter of fact, um, I've done a lot, a lot of public advertising to reach the women. And if I advertise something like a picture of a baby saying, you almost gave up on me, or they almost gave up on me, or my heart's beating, I don't get responses. Mm. If I advertise pregnant, alone, need help, fearful, something like that, we'll be flooded with phone calls. Wow. That, that is fascinating. And, and I'm not, because my, my next question was going to be originally, what is, what is the Jewish understanding of what is a human being? What is the understanding of when life begins? But based on your answer before, I'm not sure that's a question that is relevant. Right. On the one sense, it's not relevant because the woman's life will always have precedence over the babies, the baby in the womb. Okay. Mm-hmm. On the other, the, the answer here is absolutely legally, legally, the, they don't use the word baby until the head emerges. They use the word uterus. Sorry. They use the word fetus embryo. The embryo is not a human being until head emerges and the cord is cut. Wow. And that is legal. I mean, that is what the courts were using. There was a, there was a really uh, wild case in the court last month where a woman did IVF and was the wrong embryo was placed, placed into the wrong mother. And it was in court who were the real parents, who were the biological parents, who were really the parents. And until the birth, and I listened and I read the court protocol, the word embryo was used until the moment the baby came out and then they switched to the word baby. It's never a baby here until the head's out and the court's cut. Wow. That is, uh, that's, uh, that's amazing. It also means, Ellen, that abortion is legal until birth. Right. Yeah. How, how long has that been the law or has it always been the law? Yeah, well, uh, in 1977, Israel created laws. Oh, they were, the religious parties were, tra- we're, we have a party system here. The religious parties were trying to curb abortion, which was absolutely off the charts. I mean, everybody was aborting like birth control. And they tried to curb by creating committees called the Termination of Pregnancy Committee in every hospital, which would um, evaluate the woman's situation. And there were conditions such as age, she had to be under 18 or in the army over 40 or medical for the mother, medical for the baby, unwed. There were all these conditions. But what happened was that rather than the committees curbing abortion, 
they actually endorsed abortion. And right now, 99.6% of the women who apply for abortion are granted permission and the government pays. So what we've basically done is create a system where you go to your committee in your hospital, you say, I'd like an abortion, they give you permission, and then the government is absolutely endorsing it. So it's become ultra simple and acceptable here to have an abortion. In Israel, then, is there, not just in Israel, in, in the current religious worldview of Judaism, mm-hmm. as it's practiced, and I, I get it, there are, there's Orthodox Jews who might have a very different worldview on right and wrong, but is right. there then any discussion uh, on when you're counseling women who are not Orthodox, let's say, on what mm-hmm. is right and what is wrong? Hmm. Uh, no, I don't think I would use the term right and wrong. No, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say right and wrong. I would say what is best for you? What is in your heart? What can we do to help you to be able to have this child? We go by the premise that no woman wakes up in the morning and says, I'd like to have an abortion. Mm-hmm. I know I wouldn't say right and wrong because they don't understand. As a matter of fact, one of my counselors said something to me last month that really struck a chord. She said she was trying to strongly encourage a woman to choose life. And the woman looked at her and said, what difference does it make? What, what difference does it make? And I thought that is, that is really the difficulty that we're facing here. They don't believe most people secular people don't believe that it makes any difference if they keep the baby or not, because they don't consider the baby a human being in the womb at all. I mean, it's just, it's not in their mind. I wish I could say that that was completely uh, a foreign concept around the globe, but I'm thinking that it probably is not. Uh, You know, know, Ellen, I kind of, in a sense, I, I mean, I, I've heard that and I know that that's our government policy and that's what we see. But of course, if you're talking about the individual woman who's pregnant, mm-hmm. she knows in her heart of hearts as she does know, she just doesn't want to face it. And so that's why she's in dilemma. That's why she's in crisis. That's why she's crying. That's why she's called us and she's ambivalent because she knows in her heart of hearts that she's carrying a child. I mean, the instinct of a woman, but we're talking now about the prevailing opinion and mm-hmm. government policy. And that is that it's not a, the baby in the womb is not a human being. So, Sandy, I know I read your newsletters and I know <laughs> that uh, you've got some incredible life stories. <laughs> and uh, I was just wondering if, if you could at this point bring us to, a, to one of those stories either your, you know, one of your stories where you've, you've counseled or one of the stories that one of your counselors has shared, because honestly, as I'm listening to this, uh, to, to this discussion, I'm thinking, this seems really dark. I mean, when we have a challenge ahead of us, we have a big challenge. Our counselors really need a lot of faith and uh, divine guidance. We have a challenge, right? I mean, sometimes it's not as challenging. The the thing that popped into my mind when you said that was actually uh, a young soldier who was 18, and she found out she was pregnant by her boyfriend who was out of the army, and he was a guard. A lot of Israeli young men that don't have a profession are guards here everywhere. There's guards here everywhere. And uh, 
she was told by both sets of parents to abort and she chose life. And so she called us for help because she was 18 without any parental support. And she and her boyfriend didn't have any money, of course. So she called for help. So that was not a challenge. That just meant that we had to support her and love on her. But I mean, I can, I think one of my, one of the women that I hired to be a counselor because she came to faith and I'm very close to her now and proud of her. But when she was 17 living on the street, she had been raised in an ultra Orthodox family and was, um, she was abused and uh, she was living on the street and she got pregnant. And one of her sisters whom we'd helped, whose husband was a drug addict, her sister brought her to us and we, I, you know, I persuaded her because she didn't really want to kill her baby. She wanted to give life to her baby, but because she was 17 living in the street, she didn't know how she could do it. So I persuaded her that we would help her and we provide, we, we're not, by the way, we're not medical, we are humanitarian. So we provide all the basic needs of a baby um, for the full year of his right. first life. Right. So we're quite different. So I persuaded her by telling her we were going to provide everything she needed for her baby for a full year. And also one of our counselors, she was living on the streets of Tel Aviv, this girl, um, our counselor would bring her food and encourage her and befriended her. And so this gal chose life for her baby because of our help. And uh, she, I just was going to add that she has one of her sisters, the family was very dysfunctional and a lot of the sisters were not mentally well. And one of her sisters who was mentally unstable became pregnant, unwed. And she, wow. So my, my counselor, Miriam, brought her sister to the office and her sister was literally yelling and screaming at me. Well, I'm going to abort and I can't keep this baby and not even able to take care of myself and stop telling me to, you know, choose life. Right. And it was really fascinating because the sister, after we told her, you can do it, we're going to support you. I mean, emotionally and in every way you can do this. She chose life and she married her boyfriend and actually she became quite healed hmm. from her, her um, instability. The child gave her stability and a reason to get up in the morning, somebody to love. So she's wow. doing quite well now, but you know, sometimes you really have to, uh, well, intercede in prayer yeah. and intercede in encouragement. Like another young woman was a drug addict and she told me, I can't do this. And I just looked at her and I said, you know, you have as much right as any other woman in Israel to bring your daughter to kindergarten, to put pigtails and little pink ribbons in her hair. You have the right to have a, a decent honorable life. Why shouldn't you? And that particular woman actually lived with me. This is years ago. And she actually moved in with us for a time. And she's now a proud mother. This is many, one of the first babies I had the privilege to save. Her daughter is now 12. And I, I phoned her recently because I saw them on Facebook. And I said, I am so proud of you. How's your daughter? She said, my daughter is really doing great. She's a wonderful young girl. I just the joy of telling people who they can be, having that perspective for people that they are made in God's image and they have the right to have a decent life and to be mothers. That is a beautiful story. It really is. And to think that uh, this young child is now 12 years old. Oh, it's awesome. Um, yeah, it's well, awesome. And it, it really, it speaks to the, as you say, the healing mm -hmm. for, for this woman that not only is the child born, 
but the child thrives and the child is healthy and the child is moving forward with them with the mom um you know, Ellen, I'll say, yes. Ellen, I think you saw in the newsletter that came out two days ago on November 1st, I shared a photograph of a girl who's three. The mother had done a chemical abortion and she phoned every doctor in Israel because she was still pregnant. And she said, can I continue the pregnancy? And mm-hmm. everybody said no. And then she looked online and find, found heartbeat. <laughs> she found heartbeat and she phoned your hotline. And then she was referred to us through Heartbeat. And uh, she trusted what she learned from Heartbeat on your website. And she trusted us enough to carry the baby to full term, give birth. And her child just had her third birthday. And the mother wrote me a little note and said, thank you so much for being there when I just was really beside myself. Thank you for giving me that hope. I mean, wow. Wow. That was Heartbeat with us together was able to save that life. What a joy. I mean, yeah. what a joy to, to hear that story and to hear the fruit of um, the labors on this side of the world and on your side of the world. So thank you. Thank Amen. you. Sandy, it's, it's very, um, honestly, a little bit odd to me because I'm trying to think all right, I had I had said to you, okay, I will give you uh, an opportunity to say one last thing. What one thing would you say about reaching out and having a conversation with a Jewish client? And I'm not so sure that it is that different, or is there something that you would see as uniquely different in reaching a Jewish client? Um. I think, you know, you have heartbeat has the love approach. I think that the love, the love approach, I mean, not just the concept, but the concept, the, the words of it, just approaching the woman in love, listening, caring, sharing, letting her share her heart. I think that wins everybody internationally. Women need to be heard. Nobody's listening to their heart. They need to be heard. But I think the unique thing about Israel, perhaps, is that there is not an awareness that the baby in the womb is a child. I think in America, you've done quite a good job of letting people know so that when they come to the pregnancy centers, they may have more of an awareness that the baby that they're carrying is a baby. Mm -hmm. And I think here we have a bit more of an uphill climb to do that. We're going to have to help her to realize that she's carrying a child and not a blob. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, because of her instincts, we're all doing the same thing, just loving on her, loving on her, loving on her. Well, I would say that I think um, probably, uh, I don't know how many years, but for many years after Roe versus Wade, the whole uh, concept of what is a human being, what is a human life, when does life begin, what is mm-hmm. viability, the, all those questions were still in the forefront mm-hmm. of 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 the discussion surrounding abortion and life. And as I said, I don't know how many years ago it changed, but I remember very distinctly um, at the 40 year mark of Roe versus Wade being the law, um, listening to a, or, or reading an article in one of the salon magazine perhaps, and the 
the quote was something to the effect of, we're not stupid. We know it's a child. We know it's a human being, but it is an inconvenient human being. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you know, you remind me of, um, I was, <laughs> I was in a restaurant once I was about to go on TV and, uh, it's hard for me on the talk shows. They try to, as I would say, they bite my jugular. You know, they really go at me. <laughs> yeah. So I was practicing with a journalist friend of mine and the waitress was a religious girl. So I asked her, so what do you think about abortion? And she said, no, it's murder. It's horrible. No one should ever do an abortion. And then I said, hey, I always, I, I kind of pretend to be a little bit stupid so I can get the real answer, you know? So I, I said to her, so, hey, so do you have a boyfriend? Yeah, I do. I said, and you and your boyfriend, um, what if you guys get pregnant now? What are you going to do? And she said, we'd abort. And I, I said, but you just said it's murder. She said, right, but it's, it's my life. It's my life. It would ruin my life. And that's, that's very prevalent. That's what you just said. You know, just how does this child affect me? Another time I was on the street with a flyer and I showed the girl the picture of the baby in the womb. And I said, what is that? And she said, that's a baby. And I said, right. And what do you think about abortion? And she said, Absolutely, I would abort because she said, I'm more important than that. I'm more important than that baby. Yeah. Or yeah. I think it's we're all dealing with that around the world, aren't we? The me, the me, the me. It's all about me. Yeah. The me, the, the basic selfishness uh, that is uh, attributable to every human being. Yes. The thing, Ellen, if I can add something, it's please. What we try to help her realize is that me, means that you do the best thing for you, which is really to love your own child and not cause yourself to have the grief of losing your child. Mm -hmm. Me is really about being what God has created you to be, the mother that God has given you to instinctively be and carry your child and love and protect your child. That's really the instinct. And what people are not realizing is that abortion hurts women. Abortion is not to their benefit. It hurts them. And that's, that's really the best way that we have, the best tool we have to help mothers. Besides, of course, practically helping her financially and emotionally, it's to really let her understand that it's in her best interest to have this child. Yes, yes. It's, uh, the uh, pro-life movement is uh, in some ways uh, much more, <laughs> in, and in the most significant ways, much more pro-woman than the, mm -hmm. uh, the other movements. Yeah. So Absolutely pro-women. We defend the women. You know, our name, actually, our legal name is Ba'at Chaim, Israel Pro-Life, protection of mother and child. Mm -hmm. First, the mother. You have to protect the mother before you can protect the child. Uh, Sandy, you mentioned that uh, you said uh, we, we provide the material aid for a mm -hmm. child up to the first year. Mm -hmm. Is that mm -hmm. right? So when you say we, do you mean you, the the organization or the government? No, no. The organization has a wow. really great project called Operation Moses. Mm -hmm. We began this project in 2006, and uh, we've saved over 4,000 babies by providing for them through the program. Mm -hmm. uh, what we provide is right before birth, they are delivered to their home, a bed, a stroller, a bathtub, and bed sheets. And then wow. every month we give them a gift card valued more than $100 a month so they can buy diapers and formula or whatever they need for their child. And then we have 12 centers around Israel and about 
Um, half of our centers have what we call a baby boutique where they can choose clothing. So our goal is to be able to provide and support her baby for the first full year. It's And by the way, Ellen, it's a sponsorship program, uh, similar, similar in a sense to UNICEF in the sense that you know who the baby is, uh, you have their name, their birthday, you get a letter about them at birth, a letter about them at the end of the year. So people can be prayerfully, not just financially, but prayerfully involved in the lives of that family. That is incredible. That is incredible. And it's a, it really gives lie to the, uh, the accusation that uh, all you care about are the baby. And, yeah, that, uh, that's a very um, painful thing for me to hear when people say to me, you care about the baby more. And I'm like, no, I don't. That, that really grieves my heart because we really do love our moms. Mm-hmm. And you love them well. By God's grace. Amen. Um, You mentioned there are 12 centers around uh, Israel, and you mentioned Project Moses. And I I love that idea because I keep thinking of all the Moseses (laughs) that have been rescued. Amen. uh, In in that number of 4,000. That's an incredible number. And so uh, I will give you this. this opportunity to, to say one last thing. Tell our listeners who, who may just encounter that uh, woman from Israel or from a, a Jewish background. Um, you, you mentioned love approach and, uh, and just loving the woman. Um, but keeping in mind the Jewish worldview is there anything else that you would want to say to our listeners to help them minister effectively? Hmm. Well, I don't, I don't know if it would be any different in America for a Jewish woman than anyone else. I'm, I'm not sure of that. I think to help a woman have enough self-respect and dignity to choose life for her child because it's her child, irregardless of what someone else pressures her to do or says for her to do, to value herself as a woman created created in God's image to carry a baby, to protect a baby, to love a baby, to give her that self-worth and that value. Um, I don't think that there's more than we could give someone except to let them know who they are and that they are valuable. Uh, people of worth who deserve to have the child that God has given them as a gift. That is beautiful. That's a beautiful and it is instructive. And um, in so many ways, as you've said, it is really pretty universal. Mm -hmm. Um, This has been a really helpful conversation for me, uh, partly because uh, I, uh, frankly, I started on down this path of uh, thinking about these worldview podcasts, thinking that um, in some ways the needs would be so different and so unique, which they are. But in other ways, what you've shared today tells me that women in these crises are women in these crises. And mm-hmm. um, when we can approach them with love and respect and dignity, um, God will do the amazing things that God always does. Amen. Amen. So I appreciate your time, Sandy. Um, and I, I really do feel like you've given our listeners uh, a peg uh, on which they can hang their conversation, their next conversation with their clients, including those who come from a Jewish um, background and worldview. 
So um, thank you for your time and your work in Israel. We're so appreciative of all you do. And um, we will be praying for you and just thanking God for all that you do. Um, God thank bless you. you. Your, your uh, friendship and a heartbeat is just such a support. It's so encouraging not to stand alone, to know that we stand together in the world, to value life. It's, it's a real joy. Thank you for the opportunity. You're so welcome. And it is a, it is a joy to partner with you. Christine, do you have some words to close us out? Sure. Yeah. So thank you, uh, Sandy. And thank you, Ellen. I know sometimes we get caught up in the country that we live in. That's what's right in front of my eyes. So that's what my perspective sometimes is limited to that. But Ellen does such a good job of reminding us that the world is a big place and there are lots of people to serve and we're all part of the body of Christ. So when one hurts, we all hurt. And, um, Ellen's reminded me many times as she shares about her different travels or even just conversations as she meets with affiliates around the globe that we have a lot of people to serve and that we can do this together. And thankfully through technology, we can do this through many different time zones where <laughs> Sandy is just wrapping up her day in the evening and Ellen and I are just halfway through our day. So it's <laughs> really cool that we can meet through technology to make this happen. So thank you both for your time. And to our listeners, be sure to subscribe because there are more episodes like this coming your yes. way. Ellen has a great lineup. And, um, you know, we may even be adding to that to um, talk about different cultures and different worldviews. Uh, with that, be sure to subscribe. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Pregnancy Help Podcast.